Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service. Today, we are going to read uh, James 5, verses 7 to 11. If you would not mind, could you please rise and let us read the text for today. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You may be seated. I count it a joy to share the word with you, friends, and to take part in the praise and worship, and not least, to break bread and take a cup of coffee and enjoy the conversations, which is the, the important part of OIC services. It, is only, it isn't only us who rejoice in each other's company. You must remember that there is also joy in heaven when God's people are gathered or then they dwell in unity, worship him in truth and spirit, and listen to his word to guide their lives. For those of you who attend OIC regularly or, or listen to our podcast regularly, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Michael has been leading us through the reflections through the book of Ruth and James under the heading of Ordinary Faith. I suppose the idea of ordinary faith is in no way to lower the extraordinary nature of Christian faith, rather to contrast it with sort of the faith only in the idea level, in the talked faith and the lived faith. So the focus is on the lived faith. You see, the relation between faith and life, this reciprocal relation is very important to remember because life is to be defined by faith and faith is to be manifested by life. And no other book in the Bible is so direct on this subject of faith, and life. You may wonder, and maybe start with the question, does my life, my language, my behavior, my choices, not only in the good times, but also in times of difficulties, does it reflect the faith I confess? That is the point of 
trying to understand the relation between faith and light. Pastor Michael had already pointed out some of the peculiar nature about the book of James or the letter of James. It has, as like the other apostles or the other epistles of the apostles, like Paul, Peter, Jude, and John, it shares the same idea of being an epistle. As such, it has the name of the sender, the addressees or the recipients, and it has the message. At least those three elements it shares with the other epistles. But unlike the other epistles, it leaves to specifically give who the addressees are. Oh, by the way, James, in Greek it is Jacob or Jacob, Jacobus, is actually a bit confusing because in the New Testament at least we have three Jameses. We have James, the son of Zebedee, a brother of John, one of the first disciples. We have John, James, son of Alphaeus, one of the 12 apostles. We have James, the brother of our Lord himself. So this epistle of James is ascribed to James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the 12 disciples who later became the apostle. Himself presented himself as a servant of God or a slave of God and of Jesus Christ at the beginning of the epistle. James doesn't give us the specific addressees or the recipients of his letter. He is not writing to a given congregation in a given city like the Apostle Paul did or not to a given person as Apostle Paul did, for example, to Timothy or Titus. But James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This looks like more of the Old Testament reference. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel, which we read in many, much parts of the Old Testament. Perhaps this representing a Jewish believers who are scattered among the nations, it says. So these are believers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who are scattered in the foreign lands, in the diaspora, perhaps something like strangers in different countries, maybe like immigrants and like us, you know, I see. So this was the, the similar audience like ourselves. From the very first line, one could grasp that these people were encountering difficulties Trials in their own lives and in their own communities. So that is why Apostle is writing to encourage believers to withstand some of those trials and to stay, stay in the faith. He admonishes believers not to sleep on the idea of their faith, confessed faith, rather to live that faith in practice. You see, our Christian faith is often tested, criticized on two levels. The first one is on the idea level itself. There is this intellectual questioning of Christian teaching. You see, for the philosophies of our age, it cannot 
tolerate the idea of there is an almighty God who has created all of this, who knows everything, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good. This is unacceptable for a modern man who has a power over all creation, who is going to reside and who is going to judge over all the nation. This is something our, our, our times, our, our age, have difficulty with. Our age has difficulty not only on the idea of God, it has even difficulty with the idea of us too. The idea of human beings are fallen in sin. We are sinful people. That is unbearable for our age. Our age would rather look at us. We are essentially good, perhaps suffering because of lack of knowledge, lack of skills, and that is what we need. Some help, some skills, some education so that we can be better. Because our age cannot admit the fact that we have sinned against God and we have rebelled and we need healing, we need conversion, we need restoration, we need renewal, regeneration, all of those things that Bible speaks, uh uh-uh, that is something unacceptable for our age. So our faith is challenged in our age on the idea level, on the teaching level, on the things that it confesses, it teaches, it claims to be. That is even the less difficulty, difficult one to, to counter. There is another area where our faith is challenged worldwide. That is in the area of life. Christianity is today very much criticized for it is moral failure. Pointing to our lives, people easily say, oh, you Christians, you are hypocrites. You say one thing, but you don't do it. You don't live up to what you are saying. You claim this and that, but you are not living yourselves. So people are a bit tired of us Christians sometimes because we teach one thing and we live another thing. We idealize something and we live and practice something else. I think that critique is somehow a critique that will humble us all and will challenge us and to admit that faith and life must be harmonized. Talk and walk must be harmonized. In that, we have something to to deal with ourselves. The disharmony between life and faith is something that we have difficulty to respond. The, 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 The learning part, the teaching part, we can easily say, oh, God has said this and that, and therefore we believe in it, and therefore we teach it. But when people say, okay, you claim this, but show me with your life, then we are challenged. You see, the idea of our faith being exposed, our life being exposed, takes us by surprise, especially not in the the good times, in the peaceful times, but rather in difficult times. It is when, when difficulties, we encounter difficulties that our faith will easily be exposed. Our life gets easily exposed. When life is on mountaintop, prayers are answered, peace all around us, our fame is rising, friends, we have many friends, church is growing, finances are in place, health is at its best, we get what we wanted, we have a dream life, we are surrounded by success. Those times are easy to deceive ourselves and deceive others. In those kinds of relations, even faith 
commitment, devotion, all of that could easily be deceptive and, 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 and difficult to understand. You remember, this was on the very point where Job's life was tested. In the book of Job, we read about this fantastic story, experience of Job the patriarch. What happened to his life was an illustrative about how faith and life being exposed, not in the good times, rather in the bad times. In the book of Job, it, it reads like this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among us, all the people of the East. His sons used to turn, turn, used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps my children have sinned against and cursed God in their hearts. These were Job's regular custom. A man of God, God-fearing man, a successful man. He has both the fear of God and the life filled with everything one would dream of. There comes the drama. There comes following lessons, following, following texts comes the drama where Satan comes together with the angels of the Lord and appears to the Lord and says, hey, Job is so faithful to you. Job is doing everything that one would expect because you have given, you have blessed him. You have kept his life. He is, what else do you expect? He is worshiping you. He is so faithful to you. There happens, as you can read furthermore, that Job's life was given over for trials. You see, faith and life get exposed when it comes to the time of trials. I suppose it is conventionally held wisdom that life, harder times define and refine love and faith and friendship and commitment and motives as well. It is not in the good times that people's Commitment is tested, it is rather in the bad times, in the hard times, in the difficult times. It is interesting that Jesus, he never called people promising that life will be easy. Rather, he called people, first thing he invited people to do is to count the cost before they want to follow him. He never promised people as the preachers of these days promise. He never promised that life will be healthy, wealthy, fine, and everything will go right because they are with Jesus. Rather, he says, if one, somebody wants to follow him, he says, please count the cost before you want to come with me. He promised people to count the cost, to bear the suffering, insult, and persecution for his namesake. 
He never marketed himself with promises of greatness, joy, and peace, and health, and wealth, as preachers in our days do. He rather called people to carry their cross and to follow, to commit to follow him. One of the texts, I, 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 one of the, my favorite texts is the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34, where Jesus says, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What could one give in exchange for his life? Whosoever is ashamed of me and my words in this faithless and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory with the holy angels, it stands. Jesus never promised that life will be easy. Following him will be an easy way. Rather, he promised it will be a road marked by suffering. He painted a picture of trials, temptations, pain, and suffering will follow the faith, the, 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 the journey with him. His own life was an epitome of trials. That is why in the book of Hebrews we read about he, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us because he himself has been tried. Friends, if in life you encounter trials and difficulties, don't count at it as if it is something strange has happened or because God has abandoned you, because God is not with you. Rather, it is a, even a sign that God is with you because you are called to follow him through trials and through tribulations as well. James, therefore, admonishes these believers to be patient and to be persevering in the midst of trials and temptations. It isn't, it isn't that we shall wish that there shall not be trials on our way. Rather, we are called and we should seek the grace to help us stand firm and persevere through trials. James writes in this letter to a people who have been through difficulties. Some of them have turned the faith into something theoretical, something just they confess. Some of them are Although they confess this faith, but they live another life in a way that they have proven that they are not believing actually. They're using the faith. You see, in chapter 1, he's, James writes that do not be just hearers of the word, rather, but doers of the word. In chapter 2, he writes, don't shop favoritism if you claim that you believe in, in this faith. In chapter 3, he, wrote, he writes, failing to tame the tongue doesn't belong to this idea of following Jesus in this faith. Because for him, tongue is the fire, the restless evil, full of deadly poison, he writes. Very strong words. In chapter 4, he writes that, do not give yourselves over to desires of worldly pleasure and then come to claim that you follow this faith. In chapter 4, he also writes, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow would bring. In chapter 5, he writes, failing to do justice, 
by plundering other people doesn't belong to this faith. It is only having put all of these areas of life where their, their, their faith has been tried, he then says, he then addresses them, brothers and sisters, be patient. I think the text of today is more of a text to contemplation, more of a text to think about it and think through it and let that word sink into us than even for a preaching because this idea of being patient calls us to stop and to think about it several times. Patience in this part means uh, having willingness to suffer for a long time. It is about having the, 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 in your heart a jar or a, a, a size of your heart that is wide enough to carry on the pain and suffering for so long. It is the opposite of being quick-tempered. It is the opposite of responding instinctively, instinctively for eye for eye or ear for ear or tooth for tooth, re responding to with anger, with anger, retaliation. It is, it is the opposite of that. It is the, the call to stay restrained and waiting for the Lord to respond, to answer, to come at our aid. The apostles appeal to these Christians who are being tried from inside and outside is to remain patient, to remain patient and persevering. It is, it is the double side of the same thing. To be patient is to persevere. To persevere requires patience. He gives some three or two reasons or three reasons or examples about how patience can in practice look like. The reasons for being patient is the apostle suggests that the Lord is coming. Because the Lord is coming. At his coming, there will be trials. At his coming, all this suffering and pain will end. Therefore, be patient, for the Lord is coming. Whenever there is a war in the Middle East, people can easily just jump into this idea, oh, Jesus is coming, oh, he's coming. But even when life is suffering and suffering is following us, we should always remember, he is coming, not because of incidents of this or that kind, but we always wait for his coming in the midst of trials and pain and suffering. In order, to, in order to help his readers to understand this, Apostle James uses farmers. Farmers wait for the land to yield its crop, patiently waiting for winter and spring rains. In the last few years, at our family, there is a revival of farming. My wife has discovered how wonderful it is to use time, spare time, after work time, to walk into the garden and test this and that. I think one of the things that she had discovered and she has shared with me and others is that farming is so much connected to faith. Because in farming, 
You have to put the seed, hoping that it will germinate. When it germinates, you still put some water and wait for it to grow. When it grows, you still wait for it to bear fruit. And it does. It requires that patience of waiting and working, hoping that it will work itself out in the way it is supposed to. There is a lot of faith. There is a lot of trust. There is a lot of perseverance. Perseverance means in the form of putting all the efforts to to see what you have wanted to come up of this through contributions that you make. Therefore, the, the, the apostle points to farmer saying, farmer waits patiently. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when you face trials, wait patiently, point one. The next point he uses is the prophets. Look at the prophets in the Old Testament. They prophesy, for the Lord has said this and that. And you know what happened afterwards. On the account of what they have said, they were put into persecution. They were hunted. Some of them had to go through incredible violence. Some of them were, of course, put to death as well. But they withstood. They stood firm in the word of God that they spoke about, and they lived to see some of them. At least their testimony is still for us to learn from. Another third example he draws is from Patriarch Job, as I read earlier. Job's life is a prime example of patience and perseverance in the face of difficulties, in the face of trials, in the face of loss. He had such a wonderful life as we start in the beginning of the chapter in the book. But later on, we read what happened. He lost everything. He lost family. He lost health. He lost wealth. He lost reputation. His friends come judging him. This has happened because you have sinned against God. And he said, no, this has happened. I don't know why this has happened. But I haven't sinned against God consciously. He refuses. In the midst of all that, even when his own wife says, now curse this God and die, he says, you foolish woman, that is not what we should do. If we have received the good from God, we have to receive the bad as well. If we have received the blessing, we have to be willing to also be tried. And in that way, he instructed her and all the others that faith requires patience and perseverance. Friends, we are called alive to a life of patience and perseverance in the, in the face of trials, in the face of temptations, in the face of difficulties. The testimony of our faith that our lives shall be marked by patience and perseverance. That is the testimony of our faith. Although the culture we live in says we have to get it now, we have to get it immediately, you have to get it fast, you have to get it easily. We live in an age of rush, but the word of God says be patient. Be willing to be patient. Be willing to wait upon the Lord. It is easy to give, up, to give up on God. It is easy to give up on friendship. It is easy to give up on faith. 
It is easy to give up on relationships. It is easy to give up on community. But the word of God says, be patient and persevere in that patience. I wish I had something easier than this to offer to you, friends. But the word of God says, be patient. When prayers are not answered, be patient. When you encounter one after the other of temptations and trials, be patient. That is how we walk the talk. That is how we live the faith. By the way, patience is not resignation. Patience is not indifference. Patience is not shutting down this idea altogether. Patience is not loss of interest in this subject. Rather, an act of active waiting, an act of active expectation, an act of insisting that I believe. I believe behind these difficulties there is God who is doing something. I believe, although I don't see it now, I know I believe. And the God in whom I put my trust, he will come to my aid. Even when that last is longer than you had expected, he's still insisting that I believe is what faith is all about. Waiting, trusting, God will answer. Apostle James writes in the beginning of this epistle, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.